1: Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer. Today's program is called The World of Newborns, which of course means we're talking babies. It's just one of my favorite things to do. Um, As probably most of you know, uh, OB was my first love in nursing school, and I worked many years before I finally had the opportunity to train in OB. That also happened to be um, in a small hospital and therefore provided a lot of responsibility. When I began working in a larger hospital and realized just how much can go wrong, I realized how lucky I was and certainly counted my lucky stars that nothing did go wrong during those um, two years that I worked there. My guest today has had phenomenal experience with every aspect of OB, nursery, and more. She describes herself as standing in awe and revering the innate abilities of mother infant dyads. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, welcome with me Dr. Barbara Morrison, better known to her fans as Dr. Barb. Good evening, or afternoon.
2: Yeah. Good to be with you. Yeah. And, um, uh, go
1: ahead it, and tell us a little it's been a while about. Since I've been on
2: a radio show, so I'm glad to be back on the air again.
1: Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you found nursing and then specifically how you found your passion with babies?
2: I'd love to. Um, it, to think about how I found nursing takes me way back. Um, As I went to college, I went to the College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio, and when I entered, I think, as for many, there was this, um, do I go into nursing or do I go into medicine? And Mm -hmm. I, in some respects, wasn't making the grades, as they said, for medicine, but after my sophomore year in college, I went over to India for about six weeks and stayed with a missionary family there, and really got a chance to observe some of the work that goes on in in rural Indian hospital and began to appreciate that what I really wanted was direct interaction with the patients and that I could get from nursing much more than I could from medicine. Right. And so that really made my decision, Um, and I went on to uh, Columbia University to get my bachelor's then moved out to Seattle, Washington, where I had started on a med surge floor, and then after about two years was in a float pool and discovered when I had floated to the nursery a couple of times that uh, they were looking for some people for night shift and labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, it was delivery. I like calling it birth now. But <laughs> um, so I decided I'd check it out. I'm envious now. <laughs> of the fact that I got a good three weeks of didactic um, orientation to labor and birth before I actually started there. I wish all new nurses could have had that much time just kind of learning about it. Um, And then after about two years, and because I wanted to show that I was practicing independently so I could get into the Family Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Washington, I went down to Hyden, Kentucky, which is in the hills of eastern Kentucky. And kind of like you, it was a small, um, I think we had, what, maybe three or four beds for the OB side, 42 beds on the medical side. It was a Mm -hmm. small hospital. Um, And I did just about everything there, covering a lot of night shift because they had lost five of their seven midwives at that point in time. Wow. But what was really neat about that is that Frontier Nursing Service is one of the few services that is advanced practice nurse run with mm-hmm. physicians to take care of the patients who are more complicated than the nurses can take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but being there, I also realized that I didn't want just the general family nurse practitioner. I really wanted to to focus on um, OB having really appreciated that, (laughs) excuse me, Um, having appreciated working in that area and really realized that OB was my area when after working for a few months on the med surge floor, I came over to OB and just, it was so much easier to take care of the hassles Mm
3: -hmm. and to really
2: deal with the stressors when I was in OB than it was in med surge. And that just kind Mm -hmm. of told me, this is the area you love. Yep. So I went back to Seattle, got my master's as a family nurse practitioner, moved to Illinois thinking that they had some a, a number of nurse practitioner practices and things like that, got very involved um, politically because they... Though they had a broad statement in their nursing practice act at that point in time, they really didn't recognize advanced practice nurses, and many of the physicians we were consulting with um, were being brought up on charges and things of that nature.
3: <gasps> really? So, wow!
2: Yeah, it, it was it was quite an interesting time, um, and I also at that point in time, you know, what a window opened. Um, ended up beginning to teach obstetrical nursing at a small university in central Illinois. Um, But it was a very interesting time, particularly politically. And while I was very active in INA, I was uh, working on, or we were working on just getting advanced practice nurses recognized enough that there would be some on the Board of Nursing, Oh. And before I left in 2001, we finally had the first legislation that, by name, ad- identified and legalized the practice for advanced practice nurses, nurse, um, nurse specialists.
4: Just and curious, a year later,
2: what year, so they year added would
1: that the have been uh, I'm sorry. What year would that have been? Yeah. Um
2: but but while I was teaching in Illinois, it was a good time for me to go back to the University of Illinois and get my PhD in maternal child nursing and the postmasters in midwifery. And then in 2001, I moved to Cleveland and Case Western Reserve University, and there was put in the same uh, suite as Jean Anderson, and Susie Luddington was also brought on that year as an endowed chair. Now. The reason those two names are significant is those are the two researchers who really brought kangaroo care um, to the United States, and I quickly became part of their team working on uh, skin-to-skin contact, breastfeeding, uh, trying to get the word out about it and things of that nature, and that has been such a highlight of my life, Um, kind of brought together some passions I'd had before that in brain development and, and... that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to work with them and see where this whole movement, so to speak, has grown. And right before I left Decatur, I had adopted two girls from China. Really? Um, they three years apart, so it was two trips to China. So I had the mothering side of it, and I remember someone on the board that I served on asking me when I went over the second time if I was going to do anything different with my second daughter. And by that time, I knew much more about brain development, and and I already knew it was significant to want to carry and and hold
3: mm-hmm. any
2: child. But I said the only thing that would be different is that I would do it with more intention, because now I knew... About the significance of carrying, holding um, a child, and that's really what comes with kangaroo care.
1: So, back up a little bit. You said that this they brought this to the United States. So, where did it originate? Well,
2: everybody goes back to Doctors Ray and Martinez in Bogota, Colombia, as really? the originators. And in the, I believe it was the late seventies, they happened to go up into the mountains and saw a grandmother who was carrying an infant skin to skin. And that, with that, they began to realize, oh, maybe moms could kind of be an incubator. And they didn't have enough incubators for all the babies, so they were putting, you know, sometimes doubling up, or babies wouldn't have the incubators. So for preterm infants, the kangaroo care came from Bogota, Colombia, now, wow. I point out that it was preterm or low birth weight infants because if you really look back at the work that Kennel and Klaus did back in the early late 60s, early 70s, they were actually studying skin-to-skin contact as they were studying bonding
3: mm-hmm. and what
2: what it took to bond. And what amazed me was they did that at Case Western Reserve University and University Hospitals in Cleveland. Hmm. And then to have... Jean, Susie, and myself, are kind of continuing that work um, really seemed to me that it had been the initial mecca here in the United States for what is now known as kangaroo care. And as I say, Kennel and Klaus were doing it as they were studying how bond- bonding occurred. But they realized that mothers needed to hold babies skin to skin starting immediately after birth and that... Um, Can you describe, um,
1: for people who who don't know how that works, can you describe what um, kangaroo care actually is? You can imagine skin-to-skin, but how do you do this all day long while you're working and doing whatever else the mother does? Right. Um, In the United
2: States, we call it kangaroo care, more because it's done intermittently rather than kangaroo mother care, which by definition is anticipated that it would be done 24-7, but what it is is holding a newborn baby, skin-to-skin, babies can be diapered, um, <laughs> on, on mother's chest, usually between the breasts, and in kangaroo care, there's kind of three components that came out of Columbia. One was the skin-to-skin holding, the second was breastfeeding, and the third was early discharge. Well, if you look at the first two, skin-to-skin holding and breastfeeding, and really consider what this does for a baby um, and the fact that they're going in the pouch. It got the name kangaroo because this area between the breast on mom's chest is kind of like a pouch. Mm-hmm. And in that area, immediately after birth, mom's breasts will keep the infants warm. The babies have this wonderful way, if you leave them alone, of crawling over to the breast and initiating breastfeeding all on their own. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of interaction between mom and baby that helps the babies to stabilize. Um, infants who are held skin-to-skin for 60 to 90 minutes will have circulation in their hands. And you know how we used to look at babies mm-hmm. and they'd have blue hands and we'd say, oh, that's normal. <laughs> that's normal when you take babies away from their moms and it can take up to three days for them to get really get all of the peripheral circulation. But it occurs wow. in 90 minutes when they're next to their moms and relaxed and still linked because newborns, when they are born, are not ready to leave the womb, and let alone leave moms. And so mm-hmm. the natural thing, as it is with most mammals, is for that baby to come up and be very close to them. Our human babies need it more because they only have 25% of their adult brain weight at birth, and most other mammals that are born have closer to 80%, and therefore, with that extra brain maturity, are able to run away from um, things that might get them, uh, things of that nature. Our babies can't. I mean, they can't really do anything to protect themselves until they're at least three if not Mm -hmm. a little bit older. And they don't get 80% of their brain weight until about three years of age. So Mm -hmm. if we think about then what babies need for development, and it's not just brain development, it's the whole body development and development of all of the systems and social development and cognitive development and behavioral development and whatever development you want to talk about. (laughs) It is done in synchrony with mom or a primary caregiver and it is done and learned because these babies are being held and carried as much as possible.
1: So I'm just curious if mom is not available, either ill or has died or something like that. So can anybody else, the father, an aunt, mother, grandmother, anybody can do this? and it would Anybody have the same can do impact? it.
2: Um, and, and now when I was doing kangaroo care at a hospital I recently worked at, we always wanted to make sure that the dad's did the kangaroo care Mm -hmm. at least once, Um, and then some of the grandmothers were kind of jealous and wanted to do it too. Um, Uh, My friend Sylvia Houston, who has uh, developed a carrier for doing kangaroo care, actually has um, on a video that she's made stories of a whole family, and you get Mm to see each person there doing kangaroo care. <laughs> and well, I can occasionally, imagine even, even for been,
1: siblings, uh, that could be a great bonding experience. And yeah.
2: Maybe it um, decreases
1: and, some of that and uh, there's some real cute sibling rivalry. Of,
2: uh, uh, siblings holding preterm infants in the NICU, if you mm-hmm. look on the you know Google images and whatever. But the thing is, and one of the reasons why kangaroo care is so significant, particularly to attachment, is that, just that touch of, of holding baby increases the oxytocin levels.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: oxytocin, besides being that hormone that causes labor to occur and milk letdown,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is very, very significant. is a very significant hormone in developing attachment and um, the whole social... Uh,
1: behavioral development. Mm -hmm. We are at a point where we should take a break here. This might be a good place to do it. So I just wanted to uh, remind everybody, if you're just joining us, this is uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm here today with Dr. Barb Morrison. We're talking about the world of newborns, and we've just been talking about kangaroo care.
4: If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900%, and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer, Tacey Trump, today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse.
1: Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. I'm here today with Dr. Barbara Morrison, and we're talking about newborns and kangaroo care, and basically we're talking babies. So uh, we were just talking about kangaroo care, and Dr. Morrison was uh, sharing with us about Um, how amazing it is, all of the things that happen with kangaroo care as far as oxytocin and the brain development and the bonding between uh, mom and baby, but also other members of the family. So, Barb, what else does kangaroo care do? As I was starting to say, when
2: we hold an infant in kangaroo care, it increases the oxytocin levels. And oxytocin is known as the hormone of love. Um, it is that hormone that makes us feel good. Um, If you've ever had intercourse and you feel real good after a nice orgasm, that's because your (laughs) oxytocin levels are high. Yeah. And they help you to relax. Well, just by holding the baby, um, we gain that pleasure that comes from heightened uh, oxytocin levels. And so even a short period of time is going to make a connection between baby and whoever's holding them that is very different than just getting to know the infant or holding them in a blanket.
3: Mm-hmm. It is
2: that skin to skin that really, that frequently makes a big difference. Now holding them in a blanket makes a difference too, but that it, that warmth, the, uh, just the feeling of baby soft skin. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And that closeness just makes a big difference in the, that hormonal level going up. And, That's one of the things about kangaroo care is that because oxytocin goes up, it also uh, stimulates the endorphins, which help with pain, but it also is all of a relaxation, which is very important for breastfeeding and really getting that rest that moms need immediately after birth. So uh, with the increased oxytocin then and the stress levels down, cortisol isn't, isn't there because you're not in a stressful situation and, and baby crawling to the breast, not just immediately after birth, but every time that baby wants to breastfeed, then it, it helps um, just with that whole bonding and the whole start of what's happening. Say more
1: about the, that. Does every baby crawl to the breast?
2: <clears throat> Almost every baby will crawl to the breast if they're given enough time. Uh Um, And I have seen even preterm infants who are, um, you know, in the 30-weekers, 30 to Mm -hmm. 35-week stage, crawl to the breast even after several weeks if they're put in this skin-to-skin position with their heads up on mom's chest Hmm. and their bodies between the breasts. Um, and. And we talk about crawling, and if you really look at it, it is crawling because the baby's legs will make, they have a primitive reflex that makes them look like they're crawling, Mm -hmm. and they'll slowly move over. And if you don't think that babies have hand-eye coordination, they can reach out and touch the nipple, and then they'll bring their hands back to their mouth and smell it because the um, milk and... What's coming from the glands around the nipple smells a lot like amniotic fluid, which is mm-hmm. another thing that helps them to relax. They get to know the smell of mother, which is another attachment um, mm-hmm. part. And, and so they very slowly will make themselves over there, and then they'll start to lunge. And when we've taught breastfeeding with moms sitting up and baby mm-hmm. kind of is lunging, you know, then frequently, as an old nurse, we'd take the back of the head and we'd kind of shove it into the breast. Yes, um, we do. Making, you know, so baby no longer had control, not realizing that that's actually a natural reflex, that they bob their head as they're getting ready to latch onto the nipple. Oh. And so um, it, I always say to me that the first miracle that I see, and that it's a pleasure to be at birth is the birth itself and to realize mm. that so many infants come out perfect even though they had 23 chromosomes from mom and 23 right. from dad and who knows what could have happened in between.
1: <laughs> I know, that <laughs> just absolutely second, blows my mind every time I think about it.
2: Yeah, and the second miracle is watching what this infant can do when we put them in the correct position mm. which is t- tummy on mom's chest. Um, And just as an example of this, when I was last in India, which was just a year and a half ago, I was uh, touring a preterm infant nursery that they had in in one of the district hospitals, and there was a baby there who was about three weeks old. He had lost a significant amount of weight and was just about back up to birth weight. And he was laying there. No oxygen hood, an IV drip under a warmer. Mm. And I said, I looked at the, the nurse and I said, why is this infant not in kangaroo care? She says to me, because he's too unstable. And I'm looking mm. at this baby going, unstable. What, other than the fact that this infant is under um, 2,000 grams, makes this infant You know, because we're not doing anything. No respirator, no oxygen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's just laying there. And so I said, well, I think we should put him in kangaroo care. And uh, mom happened to be around the hospital, so they went out and got her and brought her in. We got her into a nice chair for doing kangaroo care. She was so thrilled about being able to hold her baby, finally, because she hadn't even touched him much. And even the um, neonatologist who was there, Uh, doing some training, I was talking to him, and he said, oh, I can see how important kangaroo care is just by the look on mom's face. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that kangaroo care does. It gives moms or whoever's doing it a smile like you won't see any other queer. Um, We had an international meeting of the Kangaroo Care Network once, and somebody was saying, well, maybe we need to study what moms feel about it. And there happened to be a picture of a mom holding her infant in kangaroo care on the screen, and somebody else pointed out and said, you don't need to do a study. All you need to do is to look at mom's face (laughs) or dad's face Mm
3: -hmm. because
2: there's a peaceful, calm smile that comes unlike any other.
1: That's so interesting because you think about how many new moms, young moms who have never had any contact with babies until they have their own, and they're so terrified that they're going to do something mm-hmm. wrong, or they're not going to know what to do. Who knew? Or I didn't know for sure that you could just put them together, and the two of them would figure it out. That's the way we were made.
2: And you know, in the healthcare system, we we have fallen in love with technology, and somehow think that that's the be all and end all. But what mm-hmm. my research has shown is, I've looked through not only the healthcare literature, but a lot of the psych literature, particularly about the need for touch, is that um, we, need, we continue to need each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we've focused a lot on breastfeeding and the need for breastfeeding without really appreciating that one of the things that happens during breastfeeding is that you're touching the baby. Mm-hmm. And so I've really begun to think about it as the need for body feeding, yeah. And not only does an infant need the nutrients of the milk, they also need sensory nutrients. Because without the sensory that. nutrients, without the touch, they're going they're not going to thrive.
3: Hmm.
2: And this is one of the things that I saw with this baby in the NICU as I as I left I thought about it and I realized That baby, who for three weeks hadn't really had much touching, I don't even know if they'd been doing much massage, was a failure to thrive. And that's Mm -hmm. partly why it was taking so long, even though he was receiving pumped breast milk, for him to grow. I got to go back a week later, and they had continued doing kangaroo care some. I think it may have only been an hour a day, but mom was so excited because she says, my milk supply is back up again which is one of the things Mm -hmm. I'd expect just because you have a rise in not only the oxytocin but also the prolactin. And so that stimulation just of having baby there had helped to increase your milk supply. Baby looked totally different. He had gained 30 grams in that one week's period of time, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of weight for a 2,000-grammer in one week. And he had muscle tone. He actually had flexion of his arms and legs.
3: Wow.
2: And that second time, um, they asked if he could breastfeed. And I'm kind of like, well, why hadn't you been bre- letting him breastfeed on <laughs> One step at a time, at least the baby was in kangaroo care. And um, I said, of course you can't. So mom came in, we put baby on, and dang on if within. Two minutes or so, he hadn't crawled over to the breast and latched on for his first breastfeeding. He was wow. getting breast milk for his first breastfeeding, and he must have been on there for at least twenty minutes. Wow! Yeah, so and much. And then for, Dad got a chance to do kangaroo uh, risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it it just is amazing to me what how healing this can be. Um, uh, Susie Luddington and some of her crew in oh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, ha- and, and one of the nurses down there uh, has new Jean Anderson and so has been a big proponent of kangaroo care for a long, long time. And they had a mom who was in the NICU, and I mean in the ICU after birth, probably mm-hmm. with a large blood loss. And the mm-hmm. um, ICU nurses called down and said, you know, this mother is going to die. Why don't you bring, but she hasn't seen her baby yet, so why don't you bring the baby up so she can see her? So they took the wow. baby up and put baby on mom's chest. And even though she was in a coma, she immediately took her arms and put them around baby.
3: Oh, wow. Just to hold it. Wow. And then
2: they were looking and realized that mom's blood pressure had come down. Her pulse huh. rate had slowed And they said, and, yeah, so they kept the baby there, and that mom ultimately went home.
1: Oh, my goodness. It
2: happened two more times, the same situation, to which the physician finally said, the best medicine for these moms is baby, and we're going to bring the babies up every time we have a mom here. Because that oxytocin is such a relaxant. And Mm -hmm. this is where mom and baby are interacting together. So it's not just mom to baby. Mm -hmm. It's baby to mom as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very interesting. I think about, um, it's a little bit separated, but I had a a patient who was delivering, and she was like at the point where all she had to do was cough, and the baby would have been out, and Uh she couldn't do it. And finally, you know, I've always felt there's something psychological when you get to that point. There's nothing, you know, no barrier to the delivery except it's not happening. And so I just got her to talk and what she told me was that while she was pregnant, she had this baby all to herself and she could imagine anything she wanted to about the baby and she was really the only one that could, you know, have contact with the baby And so Mm -hmm. when she got to that point, it suddenly dawned on her, she was going to have to share the baby with the world, and she was going to have to meet the baby as an individual person, and, you know, maybe she wouldn't like the baby, or maybe the baby wouldn't like her was what was in her mind. So when she Uh got that out of her mind, you know, one push and she delivered, and then, you know, of course, we put her um, skin to skin, and all of those fears just disappeared. Disappeared, yeah, yeah
2: it's a It's a, such a powerful interaction, and I just think you know, as we are so wonderfully made with our chromosomes from Mom and Dad, just how wonderfully we have been made to continue to interact and to realize that this is a support system. It's a symbiotic mm-hmm. relationship that we have, and it's and it is a two way relationship um, baby's teaching mom, mom's teaching you know helping baby um mm-hmm. Babies begin to learn language real quickly. Uh, I have seen, um, and there's also some research that shows this, uh, um, anyway, researcher, I'll think of her name in a minute, up at McGill University did a study where she had, it was a randomized control study and she had some moms just taking care of babies routinely and another set of moms who for the first week had held their babies skin to skin at least six hours and then while they were at home, they were supposed to do it for a period of time. I don't quite remember what, for over a three-week period of time. And they found that the infants who had been held skin-to-skin actually gave a smile at Hmm. the end of the month, the first month. Whereas we usually think about that smile in response to somebody else coming at about three months. And Hmm. by the end of three months, when she did still-faced work, which is... Moms playing with baby, and then all of a sudden goes flat faced, and baby tries to get the attention back. Well, at three months with the kangaroo care babies, they were reaching out and really trying to pull moms back. <laughs> Whereas in the previous research, we'd seen that not seen that happen until seven months. Hmm. And some of that is brain that social development that happens, the brain development um, with the skin to skin and frequent holding, and now. My recommendation is as much skin to skin as you can for the first six weeks, and then holding for the next three years. Not all the time, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, rather than go into the grocery store, find yourself a carrier and carry the baby rather than keeping him in the buckets is um, the sort of thing I, I mean, yeah. We have so even we have a our babies spend so much time in their car seats, and that car seat is for the car. Uh huh not for going into the mall, you know. And at that time, hopefully parents will have some sort of a carrier, and that's a whole other conversation. But, um, and and they can then carry their infants, and that just begins to teach them so much. Um, you know, they need to be carried to help with uh, balance. Um, they need parents' motions just to even keep their gut moving and bowel movements coming, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um just like we do as, you know, with surgical patients, we always tell them to get up and walk. And when they get up and walk, they're moving their gas through their system much more quickly. I'm glad this is nurses to nurses. because, <laughs> you know, That's
1: me talking about uh-huh. functioning of the body. Right. And nobody right. thinks a thing about it when you're a nurse, right? Yes, um, exactly. We're coming up on a break. Should we take a break okay. here and then we can come back and talk a little bit more about this? Okay. So this is once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. Um, I am talking today with Dr. Barbara Morrison about the world of newborns. Specifically, we've been talking about kangaroo care, and I'm learning all kinds of things I never knew. Um, so come come back on the other side of a couple of minutes, and we will continue the conversation.
4: If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900%, and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480 480- 480 294-6421 That's 480-294-6421
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. TRN Get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites That's Voice America TRN are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse.
1: Welcome back again to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and Dr. Barbara Morrison and I are talking about babies. We've been talking about kangaroo care, and I'm learning a lot. So one of the things that Dr. Morrison shared with me is that babies' brain weight doesn't reach 80% of its adult level until about three years. So that brings all kinds of questions to my mind. She also mentioned the fact that um, it's good to carry or um, you know cuddle babies for up to three years. And um, so I have questions about that. Dr. Morrison, tell me more about how does mom deal with not having life of her own, especially babies, If are they nursing until three years old? You know,
2: um, the recommendation by the WHO now, the World Health Organization, is that babies breastfeed until they're at least two years old, though so they don't have to breastfeed until they're three years old. But back to that body feeding that I talked about and the sensory nutrients, mm-hmm. you know, they still need those in high doses. Um, and even after three years, they're going to want to You know, they'll want to be held, they'll want to be comforted, particularly in times of stress or, you know, they get real tired and all of a sudden you find them in your laps. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that the holding does is actually help them become more independent because they know they have a secure platform. Mm -hmm. Babies who had not been held or babies who are separated are the ones who will be kind of clingy um, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and, and not be able to have quiet times. Babies who have been held a lot tend not to cry. They tend to be a whole lot happier. And um, because because they've got that security, they know that there's a place of comfort that they can go to. Mm -hmm. And when we put them in a crib or in the car seat or whatever and leave them there, they feel like they have been abandoned. They don't have the brain abilities to even know that you're going to come back. Mm -hmm. So that when we leave them alone they don't know where food's going to come from, they don't know if anybody's going to be there, they have no protection, they have no way of protecting themselves. And so the holding provides that comfort and protection to help them survive and ultimately mm-hmm. to thrive. And you know, many moms talk about feeling not feeling that, that they are on their have any of their own time anyway. <laughs> so, you know, so I don't know how much that's problematic, and I'm not saying that these kids have to be held 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so to speak, Uh but as much as you can, and so when I say carry them in the grocery store, I'm just saying, you know, that's a good time for, and particularly if you want the kids to be quiet and not Mm -hmm. pull everything off the shelf and things like that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or cry because you put them in the cart, Um, you know, have a backpack carrier, that's easier than carrying them in the front, which really pulls on the back. You know, but mm-hmm. by the time they're two to three, they can sit in a in a backpack carrier or a sling with, where you have them sitting on their backs. Or the double ring slings are great. And I did this with my daughter, who was five and a half months old when I picked her up. But as she got older, she could sit on my hip, and I could use the sling to tighten her close to me, but then I could use my hands. Mm-hmm. And to make this all possible, if you think about any of the hunter-gatherer-type groups or, or go way back in our history, babies were always being carried with a cloth mm-hmm. of some sort so that they were tied to the body. And it isn't mom who has to do it all the time either. In Kenya, very frequently it's a mom's younger sister or an aunt, young aunt or something like that who does the carrying, but they carry the babies all the time. Mm -hmm. And in work that Dr. Terry Brazelton did, he showed some videos of moms in the Boston area to moms in Kenya, and they thought we were neglecting or abusing our infants because we allowed them to cry so much. Ah. And you know, so it's you know, we all live in relationship with others, and the strength of the relationship that gets built between mothers or the primary caregiver and baby in those first years of life first even first few months impacts the rest of their life and every other relationship that they have so that's why i say it's so important it's it's a foundation that we're laying that's there for forever we set a, their stress levels are set much lower infants who are separated, particularly for long periods of time, um, you actually get a mid-brain development, which is a more primitive part of the brain, and that becomes a me, 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 um, very frequently a narcissistic type personality Hmm. that comes out of it, um, reacts to stress very quickly without really thinking about what the outcomes might be. And so in some respects, if you appreciate that we've now had multiple generations who have been separated from their moms, many time on mm-hmm. the advice of the health care providers. Um, mm-hmm. But we've also seen much more, uh, so many more social problems. Yeah. Um, more that? shootings. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of that, I mean, I think of the Parkland shooter, and they gave some history, he was adopted um he'd had some mental health problems and things. But to me, just looking at him and the fact of what he did told me he was an infant who did not have a good attachment Mm -hmm. and had never had a good attachment. And so, you know, that's where uh, many of the social ills, and and certainly shooting is a big, you know, that's way out in the extreme. But Mm -hmm. the kids who are hitting each other, a lot of the bullying that we're seeing, Much of it could be, can be associated back to what happened in the first few months and years after birth.
1: That's so interesting. So, are studies being done now about changing that? And are there children that are old enough to be able to see a difference? I mean, I always thought Uh, that kids hitting each other at two was normal or biting each other or whatever was a normal behavior.
2: I don't know that many studies have been done about that, because I have not talked to a whole lot of people. I've talked to some researchers, but not many have put together necessarily what happens at birth being seen then on through the life. No. But one of the things that got me to this was reading the book Ghosts in the Nursery. Um, came out, I think, in about 1989, and it was about one of the serial killers, and just the fact that he had a poor attachment relationship early in his life and mm-hmm. what then took him on to uh, becoming a serial killer. Hmm. And and so you know part of it is we do a lot of things because we think they're right without appreciating what I call the ripples. You know, mm-hmm. Most of our research we look at what the splash is, you know, what's happening immediately. But we don't look at what is happening with the ripples or where the ripples are going. And That's what we really need to begin to focus on: is is what are we doing? You know, how are we setting up um, our children to interact? Do we want them to be peaceful, or do we want to continue with these thoughts of wars and and the the hatred that we're seeing? I mean, yeah,
3: yeah, it's just incredible. Just in
2: the past weekend, you know. You know, we're crying for something more. Well, some of that something more and the ability to interact, to accept, to be with comes from that relationship that is built with the primary care provider, usually mom, Hmm. in the first weeks, months, years of life.
1: So I'm wondering, um, women working, for the most part, probably from the 50s until now, and in many cases <clears throat> Both partners working in the family mm-hmm. from three months after delivery. Um, how much well, does that have to do with either mothers being frustrated with their crying children, or um, you know, children not having that connection that they want and it, need?
2: Yeah. Well, if they if they've been able to spend the first three months doing a lot of holding and hopefully breastfeeding and just having a close connection, then. That has begun that platinum form that they don't they can still work and then just whatever time they are with the baby they need to be able to spend it you know, they need to think about holding baby or interacting with them and providing what they haven't had while they were gone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And hopefully some of your care providers will begin right. to appreciate significant of touch, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, once You've got a fairly secure. You've got a secure attachment with with mom, and I use mom just because that's who it usually is. Yeah. But once you have that secure attachment, then others can can come in and continue to build on it.
1: What I wonder here too is coming to mind: uh, mothers who don't want to mother. They prefer, um, you know, maybe didn't want the baby. I think about teenagers who are having babies and then suddenly uh, realize they're not ready to be a mom. Um, So somebody is trying to help them say, you know, you need to be closer to the baby and be with the baby more, and they're like, I want to go out and play.
2: Yeah. Um, There again, I think there's this need to – are you still there? I am. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I had a big beep in my ear. Oh, okay. Okay you you have to wonder or i have to wonder what sort of attachment they had at birth because this, this is where it becomes trans across generations mm-hmm. and there is also an impact of all of this wherein we're looking at the epigenetic translation of the genes that happens so that it, it's more than just a touchy-feely sort of thing. It really is a physiological connection that's happening between mothers and babies. It's a genetic connection that's happening between mothers and babies. And by having moms spend a good bit of time um, holding their infants from early on, from immediately after birth and encouraging it a lot in the first few days, we actually can change the structure of mom's brain so that they are more likely to um, hold their babies, to interact Mm -hmm. with them. And prolactin, which is high because of the breastfeeding, is a hormone that helps with this whole bit of mothering.
1: Hmm. So they may not like anybody else's children, but they love their own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, this is really fascinating. Um, I, as you said, we could probably talk all day about it. Um, yeah, so, we've only touched the surface here. But, so tell but me where it, where would you like to go from here? And um, again, any stories that you have is always helpful. Well, let me
2: tell a couple of stories because there certainly have been some amazing things that I've seen with Kangaroo Care. Um, and because of the way healthcare is in India, I, you can see it better. Um, the baby that I was talking about it, it, initially, the one that had been in the NICU and was
3: mm-hmm. pretty much
2: a failure to thrive, I think, did get to go home. And I understand later the baby died, but I don't know that, I, and I don't know the reasons for for that at all. But mom and dad did have some good time, and they were mm-hmm. able to see that their love helped this baby grow another thing that i saw in when i was in india was there was a mom having a breach delivery and just we happened to be standing on the hall and so we we i mean my my team and group so we went in to see what was happening and the midwife and me just about died because the person doing the delivery wasn't doing a breach delivery correctly um mm-hmm. You have to lower the body to get the head out and and things like that. She was basically pulling. So when the baby came out and got put on mom, baby was rather blue and not breathing very well. And they tried to dry baby a little bit. And then fortunately, one of my team members was an old OB nurse, and she kind of got in there and said, come on, let's let me help do this because we've got to get this baby perked up. And by that time, the baby was at least five minutes old because I realized nobody had called out the time. So I started, you know, at least watching the clock enough to see how many minutes had gone by. And we decided that this baby maybe needed to be have be would Well, the ambu bag leaked and it didn't work. So then we thought we'd try, well, at least some blow by oxygen to get into this baby. And baby is still on mom's chest, tummy, but on her back at this
1: point in time. I just discovered we have about two minutes to close. So um, uh, is there a fast close for this?
2: Yeah. Um, So anyway, we turned baby over. And baby, after a couple minutes, started to breathe. And by the time we left the delivery room, baby was breathing on their own. Uh Um, and, And again, if you think of the need for this closeness I had, and I'll make this real quick, a baby who had severe pneumonia, about three months old, had an oxygen mask that mom was holding over and baby was laying in a slightly upright position, but obviously having horrendous problems breathing. And just by putting this baby up on mom's shoulders with that, yeah, so that babies had the the uh, pressure points that are on the ab- abdomen triggered and helps that helps with relaxation and comfort. We could begin to tell that the baby was breathing more easily just in that simple move. Um, eventually, we got a breathing treatment to the baby, but you know it it just pointed out to me how closely connected our babies are with yes. their mothers or primary caregivers.
1: Yeah, it's it <clears throat> truly is amazing, and now I'm absolutely convinced that you and I could talk forever. So maybe we'll have to talk <laughs> again. And, okay, uh, think I about to. what's the next thing that you that we would like to talk about? So uh, we are coming toward the end of the show, and I do want to thank you very much for coming on and uh, giving me a delightful hour. And um, uh, I will just close with uh, this is. Once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I've been talking with Dr. Barbara uh, Morrison. We've been talking about babies, uh, mostly talking about kangaroo care, and I've learned so much in the last few minutes. So thank you so much, and I hope that our listening off, off audience will come back and listen to us again.
2: Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to share these ideas again.